0: Bibles this morning, Isaiah chapter number seven, Isaiah chapter number seven. We're going to continue our series. The light has come, Christmas from the book of Isaiah, seven hundred years before Christ ever came. And we're in chapter number seven today. We kind of went backwards last week. We're in chapter nine. Today we're in chapter number seven. We're going to talk about the sign of Christmas, a miraculous birth. When we think about signs at Christmas. There's been some good ones I've seen around maybe not so much this year, but in the past, and saw this one, dear Santa, I've been good all year, okay, most of the time, well, once in a while, forget it, I'll buy my own stuff this year, So, it's a good one, making a Christmas wish won't get your car back, no parking, tow-away zone, that's pretty good, here's a good one for everyone, Christmas calories don't count, if only that were true, that's not true, now this one, remember this one, okay? Friends don't give friends fruitcake, okay? Friends don't give friends fruitcake. You make good fruitcake? I don't know if I'd even try it, but um, you're, okay, 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 are are we friends? We just said friends don't make friends fruitcake. I'm your, oh, I'm your pastor, oh boy, that's even worse, okay, well, Friends don't give friends fruitcake. I'm not changing that. You might be able to change my mind later. All right, this, I love this one. To anyone who's Christmas shopping for me, I wear size 100 in money. I thought that one was pretty good. And then probably my favorite one of all, welcome semi-annual worshipers. Get, get it? Semi-annual worshipers. I call the Easter lilies and poinsettias. That's what I call it. And so, anyways, those are some signs and our series has been called Light Has Come, and looking at a unique time in Israel's history and how this prophet, these prophecies were made about their day as well as the future events of Christ coming, and even the book of Isaiah goes even to the millennial reign and when everything wraps up in this earth. Last week, we were in chapter number nine, and we looked at the Lord's name, wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Today... We're going to be looking at Isaiah chapter number 7, and verse 14 will be our text, which we'll get to in a few minutes. But we're going to read verse 1 through verse 14. One of the things that you'll notice in this series that I've done is I make sure you have in context what the verse is all about, because sometimes people don't put it in context, which if you preach the truth of verse 14, it's all right that you don't give the full context behind it. But if you see the full context behind it, there's so much more to it. And you're going to see that this morning with this passage and just how quite wonderful this passage is. And so the main thought this morning, though, is Jesus came down in order to lift us up. That's why he came. And so we're going to look this morning at Isaiah chapter number 7. Before we get to a few verses, I'm going to give you a little background here, and then we'll read this morning, and we'll get into the message. The book of Isaiah is filled with prophecies about the birth of and the substitutionary death of Christ, as well as his second coming and his millennial reign even. It's been called, people call it the fifth gospel, because literally the gospel in the Old Testament is not found any more clear than it is in the book of Isaiah. You almost could call Isaiah a mini Bible, 66 chapters, there's 66 books in the Bible, and it literally covers everything. The book of Isaiah is a great book, and when we think about that, it is... There's only one book in the Old Testament quoted more than Isaiah in the New Testament. And anybody know what book it is? There's one book quoted more, and it's the biggest book of the Old Testament, the biggest book of the whole Bible, Psalms. Psalms is quoted more than Isaiah, Isaiah is second. If you were to look, though, and say what prophecies are being fulfilled, Isaiah is probably mentioned more than any of the other prophets. And so as we look at this next Sunday, the Sunday before Christmas, We're going to be in Isaiah 53, and we're going to see how he took our place, and that's why he came. That will be next Sunday morning. But the book of Isaiah, as we look at this and as we study this, he ministered to Israel and to Judah at a difficult time for them. You had terrorists from Assyria come in, and they were attacking and hurting the people of God. And fear gripped everyone in Isaiah's day. But Isaiah dared to believe that something better was coming, even though his culture was super corrupt and he lived in a very dark day. Sounds kind of like today, right? We look at our world, we do believe a better day is coming. And we believe in a hope, not in a vaccine, but we believe in Jesus Christ. He is our hope. And as we look at this and as we look at this passage of Scripture, Towards the end of the book of Isaiah, in Isaiah 64, 1, Isaiah just cries this out to the Lord. He says, oh, that thou wouldest rend the heavens and that thou wouldest come down, that the mountains might flow down at thy presence. And he was just longing for God just to come, to make sense out of all the nonsense in the world, to bring peace to all the problems, to dispel the darkness, to eradicate the evil. Oh, that... Oh, that he would come. And he did. And thank God for that. Isaiah chapter number six, a few months ago, we did the series about the attributes of God, and we looked at chapter number six. The Bible tells us that in the year the King Uzziah died, Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up. And he saw the temple, he saw, he saw the Lord for who he was. And he said, Woe is me, I'm unclean, I shouldn't be here. I remember. The Lord called, who's going to go? Who am I going to send? And he said, here my Lord, you can send me. And that starts, God, we see God's calling of Isaiah, and we see Isaiah's ministry start. Now, if you look at the Bible there, chapter number 7, it says, it came to pass in the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham. There's about 20 years that take place from chapter 6 to chapter number 7, a 20-year period, 20 years of time. So as we look here this morning, we're going to read verse 1 through verse 14. I'm going to explain to you verse 1 through 13, and then I'm going to give you verse 14. Then I'm going to break down verse 14 the way I do in my personal Bible study. We're going to break the whole verse down and go through that verse entirely. Then we're going to go to the New Testament and look at verses on the virgin birth, and then we'll wrap up the message, and we'll be home by 3 o'clock today. Here we go. Verse number 1, It came to pass in the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, king of Judah, the Rezin, the king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Remaliah, king of Israel, went up to Jerusalem to war against it, but could not prevail against it. And it was told the house of David, saying, Syria is confederate with Ephraim, and his heart was moved, and the heart of his people, as the trees of the wood are moved with the wind. So then said the Lord unto Isaiah, Go forth now to meet Ahaz, thou, and share Jashub thy son. At the end of the conduit of the upper pool in the highway of the Fuller's field, and say unto him, Take heed and be quiet; fear not, neither be faint-hearted, for two tails of the smoking firebrands, for the fierce anger of Rezin with Syria and the son of Remaliah, because Syria, Ephraim, and the sons of Remaliah have taken evil counsel against thee, saying, Go, let us go up unto Judah and vex it; and let us make a breach therein for us. And said a king in the midst of it, even the son of Tabiel. thus saith the Lord God, it shall not stand, neither shall it come to pass. For the head of Syria is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is raisin, and within three score and five years shall Ephraim be broken, that it be not a people. And the head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is Ramaliah's son. If ye will not believe, surely ye shall not be established. Moreover, "'The Lord spake again unto Ahaz, saying, "'Ask thee a sign of the Lord thy God. "'Ask it either in the depth or in the height above. "'But Ahaz said, I will not ask, "'neither will I tempt the Lord. "'And he said, Hear ye now, O house of David, "'it is a small thing for you to weary men, "'but but will ye weary my God also? "'Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign.' Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Father, bless the next few minutes that we have. We need you. Pray that you'd work in our hearts and our lives. Bless the next few minutes. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. 20 years has passed from chapter number six to chapter number seven. We see that Ahaz is king of Judah. Now, if you, do, if you look and you study much, Ahaz was a wicked king. And really up to his point He was the wickedest king that Judah had. We know later on that probably the wickedest king was Manasseh. But up to this point, Ahaz would get the billing of the wickedest king. He he worshipped a pagan god. In fact, he built a pagan altar in the temple of God, and he even sacrificed his own children to the pagan god Molech. God was not happy with Ahaz, and you had the prophets Micah, Hosea, and Isaiah telling Ahaz, you need to repent, you need to get right with God, or some things might happen. Why was the kingdom under attack? Because Ahaz was doing his own thing and not following the Lord. It was God judging is what was happening. And we can see that even in verse number two, look at verse number two again. Sometimes you read these verses and they don't make good sense, but I'm going to help you make sense of it. It says, and it was told the house of David." So. Ahaz and his cabinet, his the leaders of Judah, were told this thing about Syria's and the Confederate with Ephraim. And look what it says about the king and his cabinet. Their hearts were moved, and the heart of his people, as the trees of the wind are moved, or the trees of the wood are moved with the wind. You can see a good Santa Ana wind around here, and the trees are moving all over. They don't stay still. Ahaz and his cabinet were shaking in fear. Is what was taking place. They weren't sure, are we going to be taken, invaded? Is this going to happen? How is all this going to happen? And what we see is, we see this happening. Now, verse number three, remember last week I told you Old Testament names really mean something? Look at verse number three, it's very cool. Cool, that's not a good, it's a, it works here. Look at verse three, then said the Lord unto Isaiah, go now to meet Ahaz thou and share Jashub thy son at the end of the conduit of the upper pool in the highway of the fooler's field. And so God tells, so we got the king, is kind of upset and kind of worried. God tells Isaiah, you need to go and take your son. And I want you to go by the watershed or by the water reservoir. Now something that's interesting, the name Isaiah means Yahweh is salvation. Now you look at his son's name there. Now that looks interesting, share Jashub. It literally means a remnant will remain. So God was telling Ahaz God is your salvation. Yahweh, the God of heaven's your salvation, and a remnant's gonna remain. Everything will work out okay. Isn't that amazing how God could just take making two people go by a water reservoir to help encourage someone who was doing wrong at the time? Isn't that God in his grace and his mercy the way that God is? But see, if we didn't know those names and the meanings of them, you couldn't see how powerful that is. But that doesn't end there. In verse number 10, the Lord spake unto Ahaz the king. And look what the Lord tells him in verse number 11. Ask thee a sign of the Lord thy God. Ask it ask it in the, either in the depths or in the heights above. And God says, all right, Ahaz, I'm going to deliver you. I'm going to deliver Israel. God's your salvation, and a remnant's going to remain. I'm going to do this. And you can even look at verse number nine. I skipped that, and I should have done that first. But verse number nine, look at the end of it there. It says, if ye will not believe, surely ye shall not be established. And you basically look at that, and it's translated, if there's no belief, you're not going to find any relief. You've got to believe. If you believe, it's going to happen. And then the Lord says, all right, Ahaz, I'll give you a sign. What do you want? Any sign you want to let you know I'm going to do what I say I'm going to do. And Ahaz, look at his response in verse number 12. But Ahaz says, I will not ask, neither will I tempt the Lord. It's like, oh, he's, he's just trying to, he's just being a nice guy. no. The Lord literally tells him in verse 11, ask me a sign. And what does he tell him? No, I'm not going to. I don't want your sign. It's in rebellion is what it is. It's his disobedience to God. Now, then God uses Isaiah in verse number 13. And instead of addressing Ahaz, Isaiah is is addressing Israel as a whole in verse 13. Look at verse 13. And he said, hear ye now, O house of David. See, it goes from Ahaz to now the whole house of David. Is it a small thing for you to weary men, but will ye weary my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Think about this. Ahaz. What sign, I'll give you a sign. Tell me, do you want it from down below? You want something in the sky? You tell me what you want. I'll give you a sign that I'm going to deliver Israel, that a remnant's going to remain. What sign do you want? I don't want your sign. I want nothing to do with your sign. God says, okay. Israel, like it or not, I'm sending you a sign. And that sign is going to be what saves Everyone. So think about that. They didn't even want the sign. And God says, You know what? I'm giving you a sign. You might not want it. You might not have picked it. This is the sign I'm giving you that a remnant's going to remain. Verse 14. Therefore, the Lord Himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bring, let me turn the page here. It doesn't want to turn, and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. The prophecy combines God's intervention in their immediate situation regarding Ahaz and also looks to the fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant that God made back in the book of Genesis or where he told David that his house would last forever in David's day. It would take 700 years from this time for Christ to be born. And as we look at this and as we break this down, I'm going to do what I do. If I'm studying the Bible, and I think every Christian, I don't think there's anything better you can do than learn to study the Word of God. There's a different, now you've got to understand something. I'll tell you often, read your Bible. It's great to read your Bible and you need to read your Bible. But there's more to it than just reading it. There's meditating upon it. There is studying it. The Bible is a powerful book. And I've done it before. I'll probably do it sometime soon. Christians need to learn how to study the word of God. That's why the Bible tells us to study, to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And Christianity today, this is what we like. We like to come to a church and let the pastor break it all down. It's not the pastor's job to break down the scriptures for you, although I will do it and I do it on Sundays and it's to help you grow in your Christian walk, but you should be doing that in your personal life too. You know, if you're a plumber, you study things to do with plumbing, right? If you're a Christian, shouldn't you study the Word of God? Yeah. So I'm going to break down verse 14 just like I would in my own personal study. First thing we see is the word therefore. Therefore. Whenever you see the word therefore, you should ask the question, what is it therefore? In this case, it's a word to contrast to show That God would do in spite of Ahaz's disobedience. This word is often used by a prophet to introduce a divine declaration from God. So Ahaz, you don't want the sign, therefore God's still going to give it. So we see the therefore. The next three words, the Lord himself. The word Lord here is where we get the word Adonai. If you were to study the Hebrew names of God, And it speaks of him as Lord, and it's about him as being his sovereignty. You'll notice the pronoun there, himself, helps us to see that this sign that's coming is coming from God himself. No one else is helping him with it. He's doing it all himself. So Ahaz, you don't want the sign, therefore, the Lord himself, he's still going to do it. And what's he going to do? Shall give you. If you notice, in verse 13, and I mentioned a minute ago, God goes from talking to Ahaz to going to talking to the house of David. Shall give you, the you is in the plural. You wouldn't know that unless you broke it down and studied it a little bit. A lot of times when you look at you, you don't think of it in plural form, but the word you is plural referring to the house of David. So therefore, God Himself is going to give you, what's he going to give you? A sign. Now, if you study things out, the word sign is used 183 times in the Bible. You say, did you go through and count every single one? No, there are Bible programs nowadays where you can get all that added up for you, and it's so nice. When I started Bible college, we had these big old Greek lexicons and Hebrew dictionaries and all these different things. There's computer programs today where you just can do the click of a button and do all that you had to have this huge book for back in the day. But it's used 183 times, and it's used to convey a mark or a miracle. And uh, a sign is a signal most often to describe an event that God's going to do designed to communicate certainty of it. Isaiah chapter 38, verse number seven tells us, and this shall be a sign unto thee from the Lord, that the Lord will do this thing that he has spoken. Ahaz refused a sign from God, but God gives him one anyways. And so the next word we see, behold. The word behold is a word used to get our attention. Like, hey, look this way. Hey, I've got something something important is just about to be said. Pay attention here. So get this this point in the verse, therefore, hey, Ahaz, you didn't want it, but still, me, God, myself, I'm going to give you a sign. Behold, and now here's the sign. Are you ready? We see a virgin. The definite article means it's a specific woman who is a virgin. We know because we have the whole Bible, this is referring to Mary 700 years beforehand. It was used of a young, never married woman, is what the word virgin means. Now, today, we're talking about the virgin birth a lot. And let me just give you a little thought. I'm going to stop here and give you a little thought, and we'll continue on. The virgin birth of Christ is a key doctrine. And it's an important, essential doctrine that cannot be messed with. And one of the problems we have in Christianity today is that we don't know the core basic doctrines. You know, there are doctrines that that churches have, and even being Baptist, there are some goofy things that we have that are not core doctrines. It might be more of a preference-based thing. The, The doctrine of the virgin birth is not a preference. It's a key doctrine. And without the virgin birth, we are in trouble. And I'll talk more about that here in just a minute. But when we think about, it says, a virgin shall conceive... And when we look at that, and when we think about it, God already had Mary picked out seven hundred years beforehand. What's that virgin gonna do? The next two words, shall conceive. And this was no ordinary pregnancy and no ordinary birth. A virgin with child would be a miraculous sign, to say the least. And what's gonna what's she gonna conceive? She's gonna bear a son. When we look at this, it's obvious but still important to mention that this was an unplanned pregnancy for Mary. Think about this. Mary's unplanned pregnancy was God's planned pregnancy, and she, she chose life. You know, I talked about last service, and I'll just mention it briefly here. God chose two very special people in Joseph and Mary. Think about Mary for a minute. We look in our world today, a young girl, 17, 18-year-old girl getting pregnant in our world today, it's just the normal, right? It's sad, but it's normal today. Some of you that are a little older in the room, when you were teenagers, it was a shameful thing that it would happen. And may I just say, it's still not right today, even if the world accepts it, God is still against fornication, Okay? I think we should make that clear. And young people, you do your best to stay clean till you get married. That's how God designed it to be. And that's God's plan. And think about this, if Mary wasn't pure, how, she wouldn't have been the one that God used. Are you saying you gotta be completely pure to be used of God? No, because we're all a mess. But the Bible does talk about, you know, if you got two cups in the, in the cupboard and one's filthy and one's clean, which one are you gonna use? You'd probably choose the clean one. If you want to be ready for the Lord to use you, do your best to live a clean life. You're always going to mess up and do your best. But Mary, the Lord says, you're going to have a child. And I love her response. Okay, be it unto me according to thy word. I will do it. Mary goes to Joseph, hey, honey, we're engaged, getting married soon. I'm pregnant. I, could you imagine what the look on his face? And he knows he didn't do it. And he's like, so who's the guy? It was the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost. You couldn't have thought of a better excuse than that one. Talk about two great people that God chose to use. I can go into greater detail about both of them, but we'll save that maybe for another time. I don't think it was by accident that God chose those two to help be with Jesus in his younger years. I think they were chosen on purpose. Going to bear a son, Bible tells us. Think about and you see, life begins at conception. I can go deeper into that. We've done that before, but Luke one forty one. It's about uh, Elizabeth going to see Mary. It says, And it came to pass that when Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary, the babe leaped in her womb. This is John the Baptist, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost. Blobs don't leap. Life. There was life in her womb. Ahaz sacrificed his own sons to the god of Molech while Mary gave birth to God's son who sacrificed his life in our place. I love the rest of it. And bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. You have that part of the no? You're falling asleep back there, Joe. Well, you hear the sermon twice in one day. You're falling asleep. Is it not there? No, I'm going through the. I'm going through all the verse. So, and bear a son, and then it should be, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Let's we'll pretend it's there, and if it's not there, that's fine. And the name Emmanuel means the strong God with us. In Hebrew, the wording is back. Their wording is a little different, and so it would be, with us is God. Jesus came down in order to lift us up. You'll notice in your notes this morning, you have two blanks, and those two blanks you're going to get in a few minutes. What you have before you today is a lot of Bible verses. Because I want you to save this, because as I mentioned, the doctrine of the virgin birth is very important. And you've got all the verses surrounding it. And as Christians, we need to ma- know the major doctrines, why we believe what we do. And it's so important. And may I just, may I just tell you right now if, Jesus wasn't, if Joseph was Jesus' dad, then we would all be in big trouble. The bloodline for all of us comes from our dad. If Jesus had an earthly dad, Jesus would be a sinner like you and me, if Joseph was. Now, that's why the Bible goes into great detail. Look at these verses, Matthew 1.18. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise when as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. I think you understand what before they came together met. Look at verse number 19. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily. And that verse clearly shows us that Joseph knew he couldn't be the dad. Verse twenty five, and knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and she called his, and he called his name Jesus. Verse twenty seven, one twenty seven of Luke, Luke one twenty seven. To a virgin, a spouse to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. Do you notice how virgin is mentioned over and over, didn't didn't come together? Those are there on purpose. Now, I'm a King James guy, okay? I'm a King James Bible guy. Not everyone is, and that's you and God can take that up with yourself, but I am. I'm going to give you a reason why. Most of our modern versions today take virgin out. It's a young woman. Well, a young woman leaves a lot there. Virgin is important. It's so important, it's mentioned twice in that one verse. It's mentioned over and over again in Matthew, it's mentioned in the book of Isaiah. Say, well, why would a Bible version not word it that way? I don't know. Why don't we ask them? The virgin birth is mightily important. I gave, I said this last service, I'll say it again this service. I said I'm a King James guy. Take these verses I've given you today. Go home and use your Bible version and read through it. A major doctrine like this, I want a Bible that says what's right. If you you say, Well, Pastor, I have this nice, night, really nice my name engraved, I love this Bible, I will buy you. The exact same quality King James Bible, and trade you if you want a better Bible. You say is a better Bible. If you want to come to my office for like seven hours of commentary, I can give you seven hours of it if you want. This is a This is a when it says a young woman compared to a virgin, that's big. That's big stuff because your salvation depends on a virgin. So and. You look at it, I will buy you a better Bible than what you have. We can even have your name put on it, in gold, silver, whatever you want. If I can be a help to you with that, you come to me, and we'll do it. We'll go online, we'll find you a nice one. But just look at those verses. And if you want more, I can give you tons of other things that are taken out and several of the other ones. What people don't understand, and that's all I'm going to say about Bible versions, and I'm going to continue. This is Christmas. This isn't Bible version time. Our Bible versions come from two different texts. You have the Texas Receptus text, which is the Greek New Testament. Erasmus helped translate that. That's where the King James Bible comes from. Then you have the Westcott and Hort critical text. The critical text has takes manuscripts that agree less in terms than the Texas Receptus text. But they claim that those critical texts were written long beforehand because they found one in the, in the Vatican. They also found one in the... Uh, where the traditional mount sinai is so the Sinaiticus and the vaticanus they make up the critical text i give you a lot more in detail if you want that but i'm just telling you to me text matters and where it comes from and so when you go but when you go to a store and you get an niv an esv kjv new king james any of those different things you don't know what text they all come from it's important to know what text they come from and so that's the importance there and some people say the King James is really hard to understand. There are a few that use the correct text that might be a little easier for you. But you can talk to me if you've got any questions about that. And that's just my little plug there about Bible versions. There's a reason behind it. And some people don't understand it or get it. But as a pastor, someday I'm going to stand before God. And I'm going to give an account for the t- things I teach and preach. And so even if you don't like something I say, I've got to make sure he is pleased. Because I'm going to answer to him someday. But the virgin birth is very important. When you think about it, God could not die for mankind. Because guess what? God can't die. You could take a gun to God, and you're not going to kill him. God cannot die. He's immortal. He has no beginning. He has no ending. So guess what? God could not die for the sins of mankind. And the other thing is, God didn't sin, man did. Now we look at the other side of it. You've got man. And man at man's very best is still very bad. If you notice the Old Testament, there's a theme throughout. Israel will get right with God, they do right for a little bit, then they mess up, and then they get punished again, then they get right with God again. This is the big circle that keeps on going, because that will never fix a man. Man needs a new heart, needs to be born again. So man in himself, if let's say I died on a cross for my sins, it wouldn't be good enough. I couldn't even pay my own sin debt. I couldn't pay all yours. So God in heaven, immortal God, could not die for man. And man could not die for man. There was only one possible thing that could happen. God had to become man. That's the only way possible. That's where the Bible tells us in John 1.14. It says, And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. I want to give you two points this morning, and then I'm going to give you some more verses, and then we'll be done. Number one is this. Jesus is fully man because he came from Mary's womb. Jesus is fully man because he came from Mary's womb. It was necessary for the savior to be born of a woman so that he could be of the same nature of those that he saved. Number 2. Jesus is fully God because he was conceived by the Holy Spirit. It was just as imperative that this man be holy Sinless and blameless, in order to be our perfect sacrifice, no human could do it. The only one possible was Jesus Christ, and that's when the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The immortal, invisible, untouchable, and holy God is Emmanuel, God with us. He suffered as we suffer, He was tempted as we are tempted. He cares for you, he understands you, he loves you, and he sympathizes with you. Let me just give you one other little thought here this morning. I've heard many Christians say, what if Jesus would have sinned when he was tempted? He can't sin. He's God. He cannot. It was impossible for God to sin. So why did Jesus tempt him? I mean, why did Satan tempt him? Satan's dumb. We'll just leave that there. You cannot, God God in the flesh will not sin. He's perfect. It does not happen. And I'll give you one other thought about my two points I gave you. You see how I said Jesus is fully man and Jesus is fully God? I didn't say he was fully man or he was fully God because that's a past tense. He's always, he is. Don't ever forget that. He always will be. You might be thinking this morning, yeah, I guess I believe in the virgin birth, but why does it matter? I love this pastor's explanation. I'm going to read it to you. The Bible teaches that we're all, we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It also teaches that the wages of sin is death. Sin had to be paid for, so throughout the Old Testament, God's people were taught that a flawless sacrifice was needed to pay for the sins of the people. But no mortal man... No moral man could be found that was sinless enough to die in our place. Only God could be perfect, sinless, and pure enough to be our perfect sacrifice. But there was a problem. By definition, an immortal God cannot die. God could not become our sacrifice because a sacrifice has to die. He would have to be made human in order to die. So God decided he would have to be made human in order to die. So God decided that he would personally pay the price for sin. And of course, that meant he had to become mortal. That's why the sign mentioned in Isaiah is that the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. And what does Emmanuel mean? God with us. In that one word, God declares that his child was God in the flesh. By means of the virgin birth, Christ entered the world guiltless of, of the sin of Adam. Because every person that's born into this world has the sin of Adam on them. It all gets traced back to Adam. And then the line continues and continues and continues. Because he was born of Mary, he's truly human. Because he's conceived by the Holy Ghost, he is free from the inherited sin handed down from Adam. He's the only one who could take our place. For the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Jesus came down in order to lift us up. Hey, church, this morning, this should move us in awe and wonder that the God of the universe entered the womb of a virgin to become like us in order to save us from our sins. Think about this this morning. He was just like us, and yet he was nothing like us. He walked among us, and yet he came from God above. He grew up in Nazareth, and yet the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. He's our friend and yet He's our Savior and Lord. Little children loved Him, and yet He baffles the greatest minds. He was called the Son of Mary, and yet He is the Son of God. Do you believe this morning in the virgin birth? Ponder what the Bible tells us in Matthew 1.22. Now all this was done that might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophets, saying, each of the events that took place on the very first Christmas came to pass exactly as they were prophesied. Old Testament promises made, New Testament promises kept. That's what the Lord did. The Lord's the one who laid out the plan. What did the verse say that we read a little bit ago in Isaiah 7.14? The Lord himself. It was God's design, God's plan. God would work it all out and Matthew 2 talks about all the fulfillment. Matthew 2 5 says, And they said unto him in Bethlehem of Judea, For thus it is written by the prophets. Verse 15 of the same chapter says, That might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophets, saying, Out of Egypt have I called my son. Verse 17. Then what's fulfilled, that which was spoken by Jeremy the prophet, saying, verse 23, and he came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth, that might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophets, he shall be called a Nazarene. Do you see how the Lord fulfilled all that he said? Now, I want to give you a little sign to think about that we don't really look at too often. The Bible tells us, Could you put Isaiah 7.14 up on the screen for me? Therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. That same verse, Matthew, pins the words in Matthew one twenty-three. Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. There's three differences From Isaiah 714 to Matthew 1. The first difference is go back to Isaiah 714. See, Emmanuel starts with an I there, then go to Matthew chapter 1, verse 23. It starts with an E. The difference on that one's very simple. Old Testament was written in Hebrew, New Testament in Greek. So when it was translated, that's why those letters are different. That difference doesn't make that doesn't mean anything, that difference. Now look at Isaiah seven fourteen. And look at the last phrase, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Now go back to Matthew 1, 23. And they shall call his name Emmanuel. The word they is used in Matthew, but it's not used in the book of Isaiah. You say, why? When you look at that, the word they, as in they shall call his name Emmanuel, Matthew makes a deliberate change make a very significant point, they, all believers, can call him Emmanuel. That's what he's saying right there. It's for all people. They, us. Christmas gift of Jesus is a personal gift for all of us. It's for, and how wonderful it is. The other difference, and I love this, and I didn't think about this until I read in the commentary, and it gave me goosebumps when I thought about it. The end of it says, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Why didn't he be interpreted there? It wasn't interpreted in Isaiah. Who was the book of Matthew written to? The Jews. It was to show Jesus as king of kings. So the primary readers would have been the Jews. But let's say a Gentile picked up the book of Matthew. Why was it important to interpret what Emmanuel means? so that the Gentile understood what it meant to God with us. That was put in there for us so that we would understand it. See, the Jews understood what Emmanuel meant, but the the, the Gentile of the day, the Greek of the day, they probably wouldn't have understood it completely. Matthew wanted the non-Jewish readers to understand what that word meant. It's pretty powerful when you stop to think about it. That's our God. We all can call his name, Emmanuel, God with us. The beginning of Matthew starts with this, and the last verse of Matthew says, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. God is with us, and he'll always be with us. Thank God for that. The one who is God with us will always be with us. At the cradle... We see God is with us at the cross. We see that God is for us. So think about, let's personalize that a little bit. God is with you, and God's for you this morning. Why did Jesus come? Why did God become one of us? 1 Timothy 1.15, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. That's why he came, to save you, And to save me. That's why he came. Unfortunately, in our world today, not everyone believes in the virgin birth. Unfortunately, not everyone's interested in Emmanuel. Um, Kevin DeYoung wrote this: He said, Perhaps the most common reason people don't believe in God is simply this. They don't want anyone telling them what to do. Martin Luther once remarked about the incarnation consists of three miracles. The first, that God became man the second that the virgin was a mother and the third that the heart of man should believe it and then this guy said this was centuries ago if Christ were born in bethlehem a thousand times and not in thee thyself then thou art lost eternally and that's the truth right there ultimately the virgin birth was a sign given a world that didn't want a sign. Hey Ahaz, what sign do you want? You want it from above? You want it from down below? God, I don't want your sign. Hey Israel, I don't care what Ahaz says. I'm sending you a sign. And I'm going to show you how your remnant's going to remain. And that sign's going to come through a virgin giving birth to a son, and he's going to save the world from their sins. And God will be with man. That's what Christmas is all about. It reminds me of how personal Christmas is for each of us. Think of Luke chapter number 2 and verse number 11. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. He came to the lowly shepherds and told them. Christmas is a personal thing, a personal thing about the Lord. Do you believe that he was born for you? You know, there are many that don't believe. The Bible tells us in Luke 2.34, do you have that verse? Jay got slacking on these last ones. Behold, this child is set forth for the fall and the rising again of many in Israel, and for a sign which shall be spoken against. There will be those who would speak against it. There will be those who would oppose it. But the Bible tells us in Revelation chapter 21 and verse number three, and I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold... The tabernacle of God is with men and he will dwell with them and they shall be his people and God himself shall be with them and be their God. Jesus coming down is just a little bit of heaven on earth for us. The virgin birth is so important. Don't lose sight of it. And I love the fact that, hey, Ahaz didn't want a sign. God says, I'm giving you one anyways. That night there was no room in any inn and he still came. His own received him not, but he still came. He came. And because of that, we can all call his name Emmanuel. And we have God with us today because God is faithful to fulfill his promises. Father, I thank you for your word. I'm thankful for your promises that are found in your word. Thank you for your love, for your mercy, and for your grace.